All right. Well, welcome to the Ridge. I'm so excited to see you here this morning for everybody worshiping online. Man, I'm so glad that you tuned in this morning as well. So before I jump into today's message, which I'm really excited about, let me just fill everybody in on where we've been and what has brought us to this point here today, okay? So first of all, we're in this series called The Perfect Fit, all right? And we're talking about what it means to find the perfect fit with God. You know those questions that we all have in life? When it comes to the major questions that we have, like who is God and what does he expect from me? Like where do I fit overall in the big picture of God's plan? Like what does he want for me? What does he want with me? How has he gifted me? So we're talking about the major questions, but also when it comes down to those not so major questions, that tend to change over time. Like what does God want for me next? Like what does he want for my tomorrow? What does he want for my family in this new stage that we're in? And we're just centered around just trying to find our perfect fit in God's plan. And so the first week, we opened this series up and we said, you know what? When it comes to finding your perfect fit, what you got to understand is that you're called by God, okay? That Jesus calls you, that he calls you to be saved before you were even born, before he even created you, he knew you, he loved you, he reaches out to you to draw you, he calls you by name to be saved through his grace. And then once you're saved, he keeps calling out to you, trying to transform your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. And then even after your life is done and things are, and you're ready for the next, the eternal part, he calls us home right, to be with him. It's just this amazing picture. We said that very first week. It's an amazing picture of a God that doesn't want to leave us alone, that just keeps calling and calling and pursuing each one of us. And then last week, we said we got into discovering our purpose. So the first week was like, you got to realize that you're called. The second week, we started, all right, so what's the purpose? Like, what are we being called to do? And then we started talking about understanding God's love, right, that he loved you before the world was made, that he loves you right now, and that he wants more than anything to have a personal relationship with you. And, and we said last week, we said, you know, Christianity isn't so much a religion as much as it is a loving relationship with the God who created us, right? That's what makes Christianity so much different than any other religion on this planet. All the other religions are focused on what I can do for God. What we're focused on is what God has already done for us, right? And that changes everything. So therefore, most religions are working through a set list of rules and do's and don'ts and checking everything off because we want to do, do, do for God. What we're focused on is what God has already done for us, and I want to live for him, and I want to do my best for him, not because of what I could do for him, but because he loves me and because of what he's already done for me, and I want that kind of relationship with my Creator. So to review, the first week we taught how we're called. Second week we taught about how we're loved. And we're called to be in a loving relationship with Jesus. And then that leads us into today's message. And to start off, I'm going to just go ahead and ruin the ending, okay? And I know good preachers, man, they, want, they like to tease it out, kind of make you wonder where we're heading. I'm just going to throw all my cards out on the table, okay? Because I want to get into this subject from a little bit of a different angle today. So the second part of our purpose is to belong, okay? So the first part is to be loved by God. The second part of our finding our perfect fit in God's plan is to realize that we're called to belong, more specifically, we're called to belong in God's family. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to start off at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, okay? And we're going to look at this uh, piece by piece in this verse, okay? Hebrews 2, 10, um, if you've got your message notes, go ahead and open those up. And Drew, start off at the God has made everything. There we go. Okay, so this verse, it starts off here. It says, God has made everything. Okay, so remember last week, okay? We talked about how he created everything, and when he created, he created for his glory so that we could receive his love so that we could be placed here to be in a relationship with him. Okay, next part. He says, he is now, God is now bringing his many sons and daughters to share in his glory. So he started the creation process, and his purpose and his plan was to create us to be a part of his family. He wants to bring us, his many sons and daughters, to share in that family, to share in his glory. And then the last part of this, it says, it's only right that Jesus is the one that leads them, leads us, sons and daughters of God, into their salvation. And we're brought into this belonging part of God's family through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so that's the big plan. Here's the deal, and this is what's so cool, is that God is building a family. He's building a family for eternity, but what's even better than that is that he is building and he's starting that family right here and right now, and that family, that family is the church. God is building his church. God continues to build his church, his ecclesia, his family, and you, once you're saved, finding the perfect fit in God's plan means that you are called to belong to belong in a church family. But here's where it gets confusing, okay? When we talk about the church, people tend to think of the church as buildings or programs or events, but that's not really what the church is. The church, being a part of the church family, is a gathering of God's people. Church isn't something that you go to. Church is something that you belong to. The church is the people of God. And again, this is what makes the Ridge so special is because there's no better example of a group of people who found a place to belong, right, than the church family right here at the Ridge. Because we don't have a building yet to claim as a church. And we're getting there, and I know I sound like a broken record, trust me, okay? I, I sound like that to myself too, but I, I do want you to know that we are moving forward. I continue to have conversations with everybody that I come into contact with it. The funding is going so great. The building plans took a little bit of a detour, and then COVID came and just really, oh my goodness, just messed everything up, right? But God is good. His timing is, is good. The trustees team is working. It's taken a little longer than we expected, and I'm so grateful for this church and their patience with all of it. But again, even when... Even when that day comes and we are meeting in our own building, I will still preach the same message and say that God's church, being a part of his family, isn't part of the building. It's, it's a group of people who understand that they have been called to be together and to be a part of the family that God is building here on this earth. And finding, finding the fit Finding a fit where you belong in that church family is so important. It's so important because you know this, and I know this, but when you find a place to fit in the family of God, it changes everything, right? 
So in light of this, in light of finding a place to belong in the family of God, I started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and I knew that this message was coming. And I'm thinking about this as it pertains to the upcoming election and everything that we have coming next week. And I'm thinking about this idea of belonging to the church family in a time when America is so divided and everything just seems to be just so divided around us. And I figured that I would share a few thoughts on this. And if you know me at all, you know that talking politics is not an easy thing for me to do. Um, And that's because everything has become so touchy and so difficult, hasn't it? In fact, I'm the type of person, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but I'm the type of person who reads a post. Before I post anything, I probably read it 20 times before I post it. And then after I post it, I will read it another 20 times. Anybody else do that? Yes, because you're so nervous, like something's going to be taken the wrong way. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But as I'm thinking about this, I also realize that if we're called to belong to the family of God, right, then people within the church family are going to be looking to the church for leadership. So not speaking about it would be a miss also. That would be a problem. So before I start talking about anything dealing with election or politics, I want you to know that I'm not here to endorse anyone or anything or tell you how to vote. That's not it. In fact, some of y'all might try to look for like a hidden endorsement in all of this, and it is not there. Trust me. Just like I read my post 20 times, I've read through this sermon 20 times. I'm taking everything out that might be, or it might be construed in one way or another. It's just not there. But again, in the midst of all the division that's happening right now within our nation and within our culture, it's becoming very hard for people to find a place where they feel like they really belong. Where anyone and everyone can find that perfect fit. In the church, if anybody's called to make that happen, the church, the family of God needs to be that place. Because if we're called to be the the church family, the family of God here, then we as Christians, man, we better offer the best family possible, right? And my fear is that people are being turned off to the church. My fear is that people don't understand the importance of belonging to a church family. My fear is that people don't have a good understanding of what it means to really belong to the family of God. And I fear these things right now because I don't know that, the time, that there's ever been more of a time where we need the church than right now. So a lot of everything that's happening, let's talk about that this morning. Like, What does it mean for us to belong to the church family? Here's point number one. Point number one is we're called to be loved. Okay, What it means is that we're loving. We're gonna keep the main thing the main thing. So if you remember the story of how somebody came up to Jesus and asked him what the greatest law was. You remember that story? And when we think of the greatest law, like, we tend to think of the Ten Commandments. You know, that's, that's the big, you know, the big ten, right? But what you got to understand is that during this time, the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody, they had grouped so many more laws into that to where now the laws reached over 600 different types of laws that you were supposed to obey. So the guy comes up to Jesus and he's like, which one is the most important for everybody? And Jesus, he changes everything about how we view what we're supposed to do. And he gives us a new way of looking at how we interact with this world and how we interact with God. And he sums everything up by saying, number one, the biggest 
The biggest thing you need to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? We know that. Love God. And then he says the second one is just as important as the first one. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, he says to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, this is a big deal. Jesus says, he goes on to say that all the laws, like everything that you could think of, everything that you could add, and you have, you've added a lot. All of those things, they hang on this big idea to love, to love God and to love others. So when it comes down to it, Jesus is like, listen, it, it all comes down to how you love each individual person. I was thinking about that, and I, and I thought about how interesting it is that evangelicals have become such a political statement right now. Maybe even seen as a, you've heard it used as a voting block, you know. Because that's not how it's always been. The term evangelical actually comes from the word euangelion, which means good news. Technically, an evangelical is someone that refers to a, a person or a church or an organization that is really looks to try to share the gospel message, the saving news of Jesus Christ. They, they, they believe other things like that, that the Bible is an inerrant word of God, right? And among other things. But my point is, is that it started out as a theological term, but then somehow what's happened is that it's been swept up in this political term. But that's what we do, right? That's, like, that's what's common is that we lump people together. We put people into groups. We put people into categories. And during the election cycle, what happens is that these groups are simply seen as voting blocks. And so you got a certain candidate that goes to a certain area, and he's obviously going after the blue-collar vote because that's why he's there. He's obviously going after the Hispanic vote because that's why they're visiting there. Or he's obviously going after the millennial vote because that's why they're posting so much on TikTok and, you know, Facebook and social media and all that. But, you know, as I think about that, I wonder, is like, is that how God views us? I mean, when he looks down at me, does he see a white middle-aged pastor in a middle-class setting, right? Or when God looks down at me, does he see Jimmy McElrath, a husband of one amazingly beautiful wife that he does not deserve, right? I'm, 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 I'm trying here. And, and two precious girls that he is so proud of. That, like, does he look down at me and he's like, I know Jimmy, like i known Jimmy ever since he was a little guy and used to ride his bike to school every morning in Reedsville, Georgia. My point is that I don't think that when God looks down at us, he thinks of us in general sweeping terms. In fact, in Matthew 10, 30, Jesus says this. He says, God even knows how many hairs are on your head. And then in Isaiah... God says, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you, and I've called your name, you are mine. I love this. This is how personally and intimately God knows each one of us. He knows every detail in our lives, who we are, and he calls us by name, and he's got a plan, and he's got a purpose for each one of us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves, more specifically, he loves you. And the point I'm trying to make is that God loves us individually. And we need to remember that. Because any person that we try to label, any person we try to put into a category, we've got to remember is a unique individual that is completely and fully loved by God. 
And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, it's hard to live out point number one, and it's hard to love like I should when I label people or when I put them into a category. It's really hard to love someone when I place them into a particular category of somebody that disagrees with me, right? That, that I term, that, that I tend to think is on the other side of things, right? Now, on the flip side of that, it's really easy to love someone that I agree with who holds the same views. But the real question is, you know, what does love require of me? The real question is, can you love each individual person even when you don't agree with them? I came across a book just a little while back, and I like the title of it. See if you like this. It's from Eugene Cho. It says, Thou shalt not be a jerk, a Christian's guide to engaging in politics. I love that. I love that title. Now, I haven't read the book, but I want to, right? But I think what he's getting at, here's what he's saying. As Christ followers, we have freedom in Christ, right? We receive his grace and it frees us up to live for him. But it does not give us the freedom to be a jerk. It doesn't. And I think that's important for us to understand when it comes to this big point on love because we don't always respond in love like we should. In fact, some people feel like they're justified in being a jerk. People try to justify their anger and they're like, yeah, but preacher, you got to see what they posted and you don't know what they said. I had to say something and I had to act that way. No, it doesn't mean you get to be a jerk. In fact, what it means is that you're called to love them. Listen, how are God's people, how are people around us supposed to see the grace of God if God's people aren't being gracious, right? How are people supposed to find a place to belong if people aren't loving them like they should? And this might be really good for some of us this morning uh, to, to hear, and here's why. It's just because we have the freedom to say something, right, doesn't necessarily mean we should say it. Just because we can post about it, it probably doesn't mean that we should post about it. In fact, in fact, before you share your thoughts on anything, maybe a good thought to have is, can I be loving? Can I say this lovingly? Right, go back to that main commandment. The big idea is to love. And the reason this is important is because if I speak without love, like if I don't have love in my word, a good tone in how I deliver things, then nothing gets accomplished. In fact, the Apostle Paul had some good words to share on this. It came in 1 Corinthians 13. He puts it this way. I love this. He says, if I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels but have no love, I become no more than a blaring brass or a crashing cymbal. I love that. Paul is saying, listen, I could have the most eloquent point, like I could speak exquisitely, exquisitely about anything possible, but if I don't have love, it's worthless. And it doesn't help. And it can actually be abrasive. And it can actually do more harm than good. And other people, they may not even hear what I have to say. So when we share our opinions, any opinions, mostly political opinions, and we don't do it with love, well, then it just gets awkward, and it just gets weird, and it just gets distracting, and it's just like an obnoxious symbol. It's like this. It's like this. You know, if I want to just share 
my thoughts and let me just tell you what I think about Trump right now. It's just like, you know, you just, whoa, 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 better yet, let me tell you about Biden. Let me tell you about all that stuff. And let me tell you about immigration and what I think about all of that. Or, or let me think about the government's response to COVID. Let me tell you about all of that. I think everybody gets the point, right? I don't have to keep doing that. I can stop. <laughs> it's too much. And I hear you. Trust me, I hear you. And I read it all the time on Facebook. And I see about it <laughs> so much. But you know what? When you speak in that way, maybe nobody's really being persuaded by it, right? Why? Because, because. As Christ followers, part of being part of the church, part of belonging together means that when I speak, I, I do it in love. Now, does that mean that we never take a stand on anything? No, that's not what I'm saying. No, I, I think actually, I think Christians should take a stand more for what they believe. But when you take a stand, man, I want you to talk about the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of what Scripture teaches us, right? Not your version of the truth and not your culture's version of the truth or not your political party's version of the truth. No, the truth of who Jesus Christ is because Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here's the difference is that when you speak about the truth that you believe, you're called to do it with love. That's what makes us different in fact, Jesus says this in John 13. I love this. Uh, on down in that chapter, John 13, 35. He says this. He says, your strong love for each other, being a part of that church family, it's gonna prove to the world that you're my disciples. How is everybody gonna know that you're part of me, that you're with me, that you're following me? It's how you treat each other in love. And when you got a group of people that are committed to speaking in love, that's a place where people feel like they can belong. So point number one, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. We, we've got to go back to love when it comes to belonging in the church family. Number two, number two is this. When it comes to belonging, we're accepting. We have to accept one another and realize that we're different. Here's what I've come to understand. We don't have to agree on everything. And that's Okay. In fact, there might be some of you this morning that hear me say something and you're like, oof, I wish you would have phrased that a little bit differently. Okay, you may walk away from this and say, man, I really wish that Jimmy would have talked about this. Or you might be totally against me saying anything at all. And you know what? That's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. You know what? Here, here's the deal. I don't expect everybody in my family to agree on everything, okay? When we're at the house, we don't all agree. I, I know y'all tend to think that preachers, like, have this different, like, we live life in this perfect little bubble. We don't agree on everything, case in point. Shannon and I don't, all, we agree on most everything, but we do not always agree on the radio station, okay? In fact, she loves 70s rock, and there's one particular station on Sirius XM that she really loves. It's called Yacht Rock Radio. Anybody heard of that? Have you ever heard? Okay, some of y'all. Yacht Rock Radio. Listen, it's basically Christopher Cross on repeat the whole time. 
which is fine after the first two songs, but after the 10th one, you're like throwing up in your mouth a little bit. So, but me, on the other hand, I like country. We got country fans in here? Yeah. Okay, and I think the twankier the better, right? Like, rock me mama like a wagon wheel. Rock me mama. You know, that kind of stuff. Anybody? Yes? Okay. All right. You know, boots and trucks and all that. I, I love it. Shannon? Not so much, but here's my point. If I can't agree with my family and everything, what makes me really think that I'm going to agree with my church family on every single thing? There's a whole lot more of you in here. And we can't agree on everything. And we are different. And that's okay. Part of belonging to the church family, part of belonging to the family of God means that we are uniquely created by God for the purpose of serving God, and here's the key, together. Look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, now God gives us many kinds of special abilities, okay? There are different kinds of service that we give to God. And the Holy Spirit displays God's power through us, each of us, as a means of what? Of helping the entire church. We are all uniquely created by God. And that includes how we think. That includes how we act. And we are given unique abilities. But the main point, why is that, well, why is that special? It's because we are called to belong to a church family because each part is important. Each part plays a specific role. I thought about this last week. Last week, uh, I told you on last Sunday's service that we had a little bit of an issue trying to renovate our bathroom at the house. Um, I thought that I knew what I was doing, and then I quickly realized that I did not know what I was doing um, when I was disassembling the faucet and water was spraying in my face, and pieces of the faucet shot all over the bathroom. And we quickly found everything after turning off the water to the house, which was a unique situation, and had to put everything back in its perfect little spot before turning the water back onto the house for fear of flooding the house. Now, I have to say that I learned a lot that day, but even still, Shannon says that I have lost my privileges of doing any plumbing work, so probably for the best, it's going to take a little while to earn that trust back. But anyway, my point is, is that once that thing had shot off, we learned after a couple of times of turning the water on and off to the house, that each part was very important to the assembly process. And you know what? It's the same way for each one of us. We have a unique part to play. And we're meant to belong together within the church family. And guess what? Guess what? The church does not operate well without you. It doesn't. And you know what? I know that we're going to disagree on some things. But that doesn't change the fact that we are called to belong and to be together. And the beauty of all this is that we have to be reminded, even though we may disagree, what we are united, what links us all together is an event in history. That's what unifies us, okay? Not a particular interpretation, not a particular view, not a particular political stance, but the cross. And what happened on the cross brings us all together. And you know, while we're on this subject of accepting our uniqueness and, and our differences, 
I think it's good to be reminded that not only did God uniquely create each one of us, but we all have different experiences in life, don't we? You know, and, and our views are shaped a lot by our circumstances. How you were raised is different than how I was raised. Where you lived is different than how I've lived, right? Where you were educated is different than how I was educated. And all those things, not only are we uniquely created, but, but all those things contribute to the fact that we are different from each other. And you know what that means? That means that I have to be mature enough to realize that our unique circumstances contribute to our perspective in life. And because of that, and because we're so different, because God has uniquely made us, it means that we're going to have disagreements, and that's okay. As long as we are mature enough to be willing to listen to each other, and to accept one another, to love each other, and to have discussions. In fact, when I was thinking about this point number two, and accepting and being willing to have open arms and having a place to belong. You know, I started thinking about, like, what's a good, you know, thing that we could practice? And I think one of the good things that we need to practice is being able to listen to people and their experiences that are different than our own. We have to be willing to listen to people who experience life different than the way we do. We have to be willing to listen to people who have different opinions. And that's okay. That means those who are married have to listen to those who are single. Those, those who might support the military have to listen to those who are opposed to more military funding. Those who are for open borders got to talk and be willing to listen to those who are against illegal immigration. Those who are straight have to be willing to listen to those who are gay. We have to be mature enough in our faith to have discussions with people who experience the world differently than the way that we do. And the more we do this, and the more we listen... The more we learn, and the more we learn, the more we grow, and the more we can understand what it means to belong and to be united in Christ. Because I'm here to tell you, your Democrat brothers in Christ aren't crazy for believing what they believe. They've just had different experiences. And your Republican sisters in Christ aren't crazy for believing what they believe. Sometimes they've just had different experiences. And let me tell you what, their views make perfect sense to them. I heard Andy Stanley talk about this whole thing, and it was so great. He said this, he says, if your response is, I just can't understand why they believe what they believe, then that's more of an indictment on you, not them. Because part of learning to be accepting Part of finding a place to belong is being willing to listen and learn and to grow together. And that leads me to the next point. Point number three is this. Belonging means, number three, we're united. We are united. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. Most of us, we approach life with a particular type of glasses that affect the way that we see the world. Some of us, when we wake up in the morning, we reach for our glasses and we put them on. We've got these red glasses. And for those people, this is what they do. They watch Fox News all the time, right? They listen to Rush Limbaugh at 12 p.m. And they look at the Drudge Report or the Bongino Report or whatever it is. Others of us, when we wake up in the morning, there are others that put on blue glasses. 
what they do is they watch Joe Scarborough in the morning, and they watch Chris Cuomo, and they watch the late shows with Trevor Noah, right? And these, these glasses that we have, man, they tend to interpret how we view certain issues. For instance, it's amazing to me that I can see a report come out, right? Something comes out in the news, and it's immediately viewed differently on both sides. Like when headlines come out, and they come out dealing, let's just take a, let's just take, um, a subject. They come out dealing with how many deaths are attributed to COVID. People on one side, they put on their blue glasses and they say, you know what, those numbers are probably low. Then more people should be included in that because if COVID is present in someone's system, then it definitely plays a role in their death. And then other people look at that same report and they put on their red glasses and they say, whoa, 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 that number is way too high because a person who is already diagnosed with a life-threatening disease shouldn't be lumped into the COVID category. These glasses... They shape what we see. And our goal, our goal is to be united in the kingdom, putting on God's glasses that show us what kingdom, his kingdom on this earth is supposed to look like. His kingdom is what unites us. You know, over and over and over again, I'm, I'm always surprised when I see how many times people try to get Jesus to take their political side. They'd ask him questions and they'd try to bait him into taking a political stance on this issue or that issue. And he never really took it. And then I know that he had issues within his own disciples because Simon was a zealot, which means that he was against Roman occupation. Matthew was a tax collector, which meant that he worked for the Roman government. So Jesus, he wasn't so much interested in getting caught in those weeds as much as he was trying to unite everyone in God's kingdom. That was his purpose. But even then, back then, everybody tried to get Jesus on their side. Everybody wanted Jesus on their side. And you know what? It's no different today. Even in 2020, people both sides want to have Jesus on their side. And you know what? I truly believe that both sides think and really believe that they are following Jesus and they're following scripture. In fact, if you asked me to deliver a sermon based on Democrat principles, I could do it. And then if you ask me to deliver a sermon based on Republican principles, I could do that too. Both sides quote Jesus. Both sides use scripture. Both sides want to use the Bible to support their claims. The question is, can we allow scripture to be what unites us so that we're not divided? Because Jesus wanted us to be a part of his kingdom. His focus was primarily on bringing that kingdom and showing everybody what it meant to live in that kingdom here on this earth. And it was so different, and it continues to be so different than the way that this world operates, right? It's a place where up is down and down is up. It's a place where the greatest among us are those that serve. It's a, it's a place where people are more concerned about taking care of each other than they are about taking care of themselves, right? His kingdom is different than what this world tries to offer, and it's a place where people are loved, right? Where they are accepted and where they are united. So this is why it's foolish to be divided over any political issue at times because we never want to sever a relationship over a political view. 
Why? Because it goes back to the greatest commandment. It goes back to keeping the main thing the main thing. Like, what is the big rule? What is it all about? It's all about love. And guess what? Love never changes. But you know what? Your political view, something that you're so holding on to right now, it might change. I think about how different I am now at 44 than I was at 24. In 20 years, a lot has changed. And guess what? I have changed my view on some things. But you know what never changes? God's love never changes. That's why we never want to sever a relationship based on anything else because anything else could change. We have to remember when we come into those conversations, we got to remember that Christ died for that person. We're both sinners. And if that's the case, then how dare I not accept you? How dare I not be united with you through Christ? How dare I not love someone and be united with someone that Christ has died for? Do you know one of the things... One of the last things that Jesus prayed for before he left this earth. You know, you you start looking at like, what's the last thing that Jesus wanted for us? Like, you know, maybe it was for great marriages because of what marriage represents in the Bible. Maybe it was for healing of certain diseases. You know, maybe it was for this. Maybe it was for that. that. Let me show you. In John 17, he says this. I'm not praying just for these followers, those that are gathered right there with him. I'm also praying for everyone else who will have faith because of what my followers will say for me. That's that's all of us in God's church. I want all of them to be what? One with each other. Jesus wanted unity for us. Why was this so important? The last part. He says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. People will know. Remember what he said? He's like, people are going to know that you're my disciples, that you're following after me by how you love. And people are going to know more about God when they see us united together in that love. It's a big deal. And then the last thing we got to remember when it comes to helping other people find the perfect fit in belonging in the church, is that number four, we're trusting God. And that makes us different. But at the end of the day, we're trusting God. So you know what? What's going to happen Tuesday night? Let me ask you, do you, that's the big question, right? Like, what's going to happen Tuesday night? You know what's going to happen for me? I'm going to go to sleep. That's what's going to happen for me. I run into people, they're like, how can you sleep? Listen, There are few, as much as I love my country, there is one thing I love more, and that is my sleep. Nothing gets in the way of my sleep at night, I'll tell you. But I think I was last year, I think I went to bed thinking one had won. I woke up the next day and find out the other one had won, right? So things can change, and people are like, how can you sleep at a time like that and not know? The reason I am able to sleep is because I go to bed remembering the fact that no matter what happens Tuesday evening, no matter who wins the presidential election, I'm going to wake up Wednesday morning, and Jesus Christ is still Lord, right? No matter who's president, Jesus is king. No matter who sits in the Oval Office, Jesus Christ sits on the throne. He's still in control. He is still Lord. So that means no matter what happens, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God. 
Let, let, me ask you, let me ask you something. Maybe you can help me with this. Maybe you could do this that will help us just love well and accept well and be united together and prove that we trust God. Here, here's what it is. Will you pray? Will you pray for the president? Whoever it is. Paul writes this to Timothy and he instructs him this way. Let me show you this. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings, for those that are in leadership, and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So let me ask you this as we close this time together. Would you pray for someone in authority that you didn't vote for? I hope so. I hope that you would pray that God would work through them and lead them. When we trust that God is ultimately the one in control, what it does is it unites us and it brings us a hope no matter who is running the government. In fact, just a little reminder, just in case you've forgotten, you realize that this world is going to end, right? Scripture says this world is going to fade away. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, right? Leadership will change, but Jesus Christ, again, is going to reign for eternity. He sits on the throne, and that means that we as a church family, we're going to trust him. And we're going to pray to him. So you know what? I hope you vote on Tuesday. I, I really do. What a privilege it is to be an American, to be such an amazing democracy here. And I hope you vote for the person that you feel is going to do the best job. But I also hope that you understand how you fit into God's plan and his purpose. I hope that you understand that God's call on your life is to belong in a church family. And you're called to help other people belong as well. And the best way that happens is by loving them, even when we disagree, is by accepting them and being willing to listen. It's by realizing that we may be different, but we are called to belong together and be united. And it's ultimately by trusting God no matter what happens in politics. If we're willing to do those things, the church will be a place that you and everyone can feel as though they belong. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the love and the acceptance, the unity and the hope that you bring to all of us. God, I just, I just pray that the church would live all of this out in the world, in a nation, and in a place, and in a time when it just feels so divided, when everybody just seems to be at odds, God, where it's just hard to find anybody who really agrees on anything. God, we're called to be the difference. We are called to love in such a way that we, that we would be reminded that above all, we're called to be a part of your church family, that others would see the love and how we accept, and how we are united, and how we trust you, that they would want to belong to that church family as well. And Jesus, I know, I know that we can get so hung up on all the negative things that are happening around us right now. 
But God, truth is, we understand just how blessed we are to live in this nation. God, and how you have your hand on this country and how you are using this country to be such a blessing to the world. We just pray that you would continue to do so. But no matter what happens next, God, we pray for our leadership, that you would guide, that you would give wisdom, whoever it is, after election day, no matter what happens next. God, we know that everything is okay because our trust and our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in the one who sits on the throne. Our hope is in you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for dying for us and forgiving us and for bringing us into your church family. Help us to love well. And help us to be united as your family here on this earth. And to be a part of your amazing kingdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.